0: Where is your faith? This is such an exciting place that we come to today in Luke chapter number eight. This is the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and what a thrill it's going to be uh, to get into this. We, We hear about it in all of the different Gospels by which we speak, say Matthew, Mark, uh, even John would bring us to the point of being in this vessel with this storm raging round the disciples, Jesus asleep in, inside the, the boat, and them coming to Jesus with this fear, this broken soul that says, Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus would ask this simple truth that exists within all of us, because we all face the reality of the peril of death. And Jesus looks at his disciples, understanding that a world without Christ indeed would be gripped by the fear of death, and rightly so, because death is hunting them. It's it's hounding after their heels, and it is desperate to take them. But to the child of God, who has been delivered from the power of death, who's been delivered from the from the hands of that pale horse rider, the, the the very child of God who has promised eternal life and entered into the estate of eternal life at the point of their confession to Christ and their trust in his salvation, that Jesus would look to them and say, where is your faith? Guys, that's a reality that we have to face today, and so it's a treasure to be able to come to this place. In Luke chapter 8, as Jesus calms the storm. Father, we are grateful. We pray thy blessing upon us as we get into this study, that you will guide us through it, that you will encourage our hearts today, that you will strengthen our trust, and that you will build, Lord, upon the relationship that we have begun in that day that we had received Jesus, our Savior. Bless it, Lord. Bless it today to our souls in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Here it says, uh, coming up, Luke chapter number 8, verse 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, referring to Jesus. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water that they obey him who is this this is the very person you chose to follow this is the person that you believe to be your messiah this is the person that you saw heal the deaf heal the blind heal the sick heal the paralytics this is he of uh, uh, who changed water into wine this this is the very embodiment of, of the Godhead as, as referred to in Scripture through the Apostle Paul. This is your salvation, and you still don't get it? You still miss it? I love it. They marvel within themselves. Now, I'm not picking on them too hard. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I get it, right? I mean, it, It's just unfathomable. That this Jesus, now when you tie these Gospels together, uh, as they woke Jesus, of course the winds and the waves were beating against the ship. The ship was filling them with the water. They were bucketing it out as fast as they could bucket it, but it just wasn't fast enough. The, they, they reached the end of their wits, so to speak. in the last-ditch effort, which, by the way, should have been the first effort the last ditch effort was go get Jesus and wake him up and see if there's something he couldn't do about it. Maybe he could blind the storm. <laughs> maybe maybe he could cause it to go off course a little bit or leave him alone, what have you. They just they didn't know what to do. So they turned to Jesus and and unfortunately it was a last-ditch effort instead of a first choice point of view. But that's the reality of us. We try everything within our human means to be able to fix our problems before we'll even bring them to Jesus. We do whatever we believe is possible within our own ability before we will we will take it to God. And even though we might start off by by going to the Lord in prayer and asking about a situation we see getting ready to happen or asking about things that are happening in our lives, when we get up from that moment of prayer, we still try to engage those issues that are in our lives with our own means and our own power instead of trusting in what we gave to the Lord for Him to handle. So it's not like I'm picking on these guys entirely too much because I'm just entirely equally guilty with them and a lot of the things that i tried to do through my own life and a lot of the things that our families all around us, and, and you guys watching this, you, you're been, you've you been here too, so we can't really pick on them all that much, except for Peter, okay, we, we could throw Peter under the waves a little bit, because this is the same guy during a similar storm, where Jesus was walking on the water, you remember that, well, it wasn't a storm, but Jesus was walking on the water, and, and they were all scared because they believed he was a spirit. And he said, if, if you're my Lord, bid me come out and I'll walk to you. And Jesus said, come on, come on over. I mean, it's a great day. We're walking on the water. Who's done that before? And Peter jumps out the boat, goes walking over to him, but then loses sight of who he was, loses sight of what's going on. And he sinks. So, you know, but I can't fault him on that either. Because how many times have you lost sight of Jesus? Uh Uh-huh. How many times have I lost sight of Jesus? Right. So we can't throw these guys entirely under the bus, but what a sharp rebuke that we get from Jesus today. You know, we go through a beautiful Sunday. The Word of God is powerful. The truth of God comes to our hearts. We We are contemplating the holy, and you know what, yesterday, I had no idea, I honestly did not even know that yesterday was the stupid bowl, I mean the super bowl, sorry about that. For all of you super bowl worshipers, I apologize, I called it the stupid bowl, but believe it or not, it really was a stupid bowl. And, and, and the end result of this is, is that I had no idea the possibility of how many people would be sitting in church with their hearts totally not engaged by the word of God because they're thinking about this stupid game that happens once a year. And the greatest hindrance to the Christian faith tends to be sports in the United States. And if you look at the Communist Manifesto that was written out by Karl Marx and, and, and was ratified by all these guys like Stalin, and, and if you look at that, one of the ten principal planks is get the people involved in sports, get the people to worship sports, and get them away from God. And boy, they've done it here. Get them away from God. And, and thus, we would be a society full of people claiming to be Christians with Jesus in verse number 25, saying, where is your faith? Oh, that's a good question. The whole point, Jesus, he's he's dealt with all of these issues. He's on one side of of this lake of Gennesaret that they were at. I mean, you've got to go all the way back to Luke chapter number 6, I believe, to find the lake that they were by hanging out there in Gennesaret, and and then he's going across the lake. You've got a tempest, as it would be said in the King James Bible, which is a very strong and powerful wind storm that would come across this lake and make that lake. It, and it's not all that big, maybe maybe 10 miles across the whole of this lake. But it's like being in an ocean when the winds drop the the hills around the lake and drop to the middle of the lake. It can cause the waves to come up as bad as o- ocean waves. And these guys are riding in in boats that aren't much more than 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 the little pan type boats you see over in 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 China or the little flat pan boats that they use for fishing over there. With with it's, it's not much to them. And here they are, they're, they're going across this, this lake and all of a sudden it's it's like tossing and crooked and twitching and everything else. And and of course, Jesus, what in the world does Jesus do? Jesus falls asleep. <laughs> what in the world is that? He, he's gone to sleep. Praise God, one of the few times you see in Scripture Jesus actually sleeping, and here he is. He's gone to sleep inside of this vessel as a storm came up on this lake, and and the disciples are scared to death, and they went and they woke him up. Don't you care that we're about to die? (laughs) Jesus, he just gets up. I mean, it's the same thing happens as 2 a.m., your babies come downstairs, It might be having a rough day, your babies wake you up and say, I think I'm going to throw up, standing right over top of you. <laughs> I've had this happen more times than I can count. You'll be sleeping and all of a sudden you wake up because you just feel that presence looking at you and there's one of your kids and... And you look up at them and they say, I I don't feel so good. I think I'm going to throw up. It's like, thanks for standing over top of me. You could have just gone to the bathroom. And you tell them, well, go to the bathroom. And then they might make it, maybe not. Most of the times for me, they didn't make it. (laughs) And we had to clean everything up at that point. But that's the same exact situation you got with Jesus. While these guys are bucketed this water, they've done everything they possibly could. The, the last place they go to, instead of the first place they go to, is, is Jesus. And they say, we're about to die. Uh, Jesus, he's, he gets up. He, he just goes on. He gets to the bow of that ship. He... he Tells those winds, those waves, it says, peace be still. It says over John, I think, and Matthew and those places. Peace be still. And the, the winds ceased and there was calm. The waves calmed down everything. And then he turns around and looks at them. Now, he takes care of the problem because that's what's scaring all the kids to begin with. You always take care of the problem first, right? You make sure everybody's settled. You make sure everybody's secure, Right? then you got to deal with the issue okay take care of the problem then deal with the issue well jesus took care of the problem he ceased and the wind stopped the waves stopped everything went calm then he went to take care of the issue he looked at those guys and he said where in the world's your faith you think that vessel's gonna sink with jesus in it i mean come on The very creator of all things surrounding you is inside your boat. Do you think that it's going to sink? Answer, ain't going to sink. You can't sink with Jesus in you. And by the way, as, as God's children are sealed and filled by the Holy Ghost of God, the children of God can't sink either. Because nothing can sink with the master inside of it. And Jesus lives in you by the Holy Spirit of God. And so you can't sink. There's nothing that can harm you. There's no way it can stop you. Because you are a child of the king. And he he says, where's your faith? Well, look at these guys. Now, keep in mind, I'm not picking on them too hard because... Well, I mean, honestly, that's kind of (laughs) cool, right? I mean, if you were in this boat at this point of time, would you not be bucketing that water out too? I mean, you know, that's kind of freaky, right? But also, would you not be uh, just marveling over the thing? I mean, how many of you have been in a storm where you wanted to just stand at the door and say, peace be still, and and it just stopped. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? How many of you be down at the beach and you see that storm coming and the waves are getting higher and choppier and people are running, they're clearing the beach and you're like, man, I don't want to give up this day at the beach. I spent too much money trying to get down here. I don't want to quit this. You just walk all the way out to the edge of the pier and you hold your hand out you say, peace, be still. And the storm just breaks off and goes to both sides of you and leaves your part of the beach alone. Wouldn't that be something? Well, Jesus did this. Would that be something? You can go have some more fun than that money you spent on that vacation, right? But Jesus looked at those boys and he said, where in the world is your faith? And they just marveled. They're like, who in the world is this? I mean, I get it. He healed the blind. That's that's you know dealing with mankind. I can understand. You can heal the blind. You can heal the deaf. You can heal the sick. You can heal the lame. You can. I, I get all of that. But to them, those miracles are nothing compared to stopping a storm, a tempest as it was on the Sea of Galilee. I mean. Wow, this Lake Gennesaret was a wild ride, and all of a sudden it just stopped because Jesus just spoke. And man, Jesus is a person, so he's healing people. And okay, I get that, but he controls the weather too? Yeah, he controls the weather too. He controls everything because he's Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah. And praise God, he controls everything. And so it gets down to this moment after this happens. And you can understand these guys, his disciples, his apostles, they're reeling at this point. They're reeling with him because it's like, how in the world is that possible? Man, this this must be. You think about the re- reconfirmation of their soul on every turn that jesus takes as they would continuously state this must be the messiah for there are no people on this planet that can do the miracles that he can do well amen you're right this is your messiah and no one else can do the miracles that jesus does and so it moves on, and we're going to talk about another healing that Jesus does, which I believe to be a greater healing than even causing the winds and waves to cease. And it goes to verse 26. He says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, or, or Gerasenines, rather, Gerasenines, uh, which is opposite Galilee. And this is really exciting because this guy is is the guy this guy so we were back at uh at what am i thinking of we were back at uh, mark the gospel of mark it just finally clicked and we were talking about that dude that was full of the demons called legion well this is the same account that you're going to come across and in in that land you understand that that it's really exciting. This is a guy that was in the tomb. So let's look at what Luke... This is a comparison between Mark and Luke. Let's see what they have to say, how Luke may add to the account that Mark had already written. And he, he sailed to the country of the Gerasenes and which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on the land, verse 27, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now, this is interesting because this is a guy, well, of course, verse 29 would explain, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, Now, listen to the explanation here in verse 29. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but it would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now, this is the guy in town that everyone fears. You cannot chain him. He is superhuman in his strength. He breaks the chains. He breaks the fetters upon his legs. He he howls and wails like a wild animal. He thrashes and, and, and tears and, and nothing can contain him. Nothing can hold him. Often he is driven into the desert and as a banshee he is most feared because of, of how he may very easily snatch the life from those that are passers-by unaware. This, this, this is what horror movies are based upon, this man. But in all of his power, in all of his, his supposed strength, in all of his viciousness and his vileness, as he comes into the presence of Jesus... He bows before him to his knees on the ground and screams with a shout that could only be heard with curdling fear in your heart. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? (laughs) Remember, the devils knew exactly who they're in the presence of. For before they fell from the estate of heaven, they were in his presence from their creation. And so they know exactly who Jesus is. And by the way, this is kind of an interesting little side note here. Even though Jesus is standing in the flesh before this man, in his flesh, he is recognized by his Spirit, certainly as the Holy Spirit of God in the midst of an unholy thing, but by his flesh seen and recognized the Most High God. So what he looks like in the flesh is exactly what he looks like from his heavenly estate. And even the devil's recognize by the face, as well as by the heart, or the spirit, shall I say, the Son of the Most High God. And they recognize his name. You are the salvation of God. You are the salvation, the son of the most high God. Remember Jesus, his name in Hebrew, Yeshua. And Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation. And so they said, you are salvation, the son of the most high God. I beg you, do not torment me, this devil or uh, should I say legion of devils that that would be so adequate to torment an entire village during this period of time? The, it, it this devil that that was filled. Of course, we hear this uh, gasseri. Let me go back and look at the word that they used: garrison's. Uh, but also is known as the gatterins. But nevertheless, this devil. Is is so apt to torment this village and tortured them with with such great great intrepidation of his presence, but in the just Jesus showing up was enough for these devils to drop to their knees. By the way, that's why the guy dropped to his knees, not because he knows what he's doing. He's out of his mind. He's being controlled by all of these devils. But the devils drop him to their knees because they know where they belong in, in front of their creator. And, and he dropped to his knees and said, don't torment me. Now Jesus had already commanded these th- this devil to come out. B- but understand that Jesus, looking upon the flesh, knows that he's filled with the devil, but doesn't know how many. And so as Jesus commanded him to come out, nothing happened. They, they, they fought back that command by, by not knowing technically, technicalities count here apparently, by not knowing exactly who Jesus was talking to out of the midst of the thousands that were inside of this guy. So they just all begged him at one time not to torment them. In other words, put them in the pit of Sheol before the time. So Jesus, acknowledging that they did not come out of him, after he had given the commandment for them to come out of him, which should have happened, had it been one devil, it would have had no power to resist. But being several thousand, they all looked at themselves inside of this guy going, was he talking to you? Is he talking to you? Is he talking to you? Is he talking to you? you?" (laughs) They don't know. So Jesus asked, what is your name? In verse 30. And he said, the, he said, it's dealing with the vessel of the man speaking to Jesus at this point with what's inside of him. And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Yeah, about 2,500. Yeah. So you say, how in the world is it possible for a man Say like Pastor Jay's size, about five nine, five ten, how is it possible to be so full of demons as twenty five hundred inside of that frame? Uh, it's it happened. And Jesus also testified if you are delivered by a, a devil and, and you have been cleansed and you have been you have been uh, cleared and, and certified a son of God but then to turn away from God and go back into the world that you came out of, easily to be filled with seven more that are worse than the first. Um, yeah, it's possible for a bunch to come into you. So you got to consider that today. 2,500 were inside of this dude. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, side note 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. We're on the hillside. There's a whole batch of pigs feeding on the hillside. They They begged him to go into those. Why does Jesus allow these devils to go inside of the pigs? Well, one, pigs are something that is considered by the law of God unclean. And, 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 and pigs are something that that is of no consequence to be for these devils to be in. and so it doesn't hinder the work of Jesus for them to be in these pigs and nothing nothing hinders anything. so fine with me, go ahead and get into pigs. So the issue comes that the demons came out of the man and they entered the pigs and the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and drowned. <laughs> Imagine that. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country and the people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and the people rejoiced and the people were glad and they didn't have to fear the tombs or the catacombs anymore and they didn't have to fear being attacked on the the road in the desert and the people saw this man delivered from all of his afflictions and all of his suffering, and hallelujah, he is saved, he is saved. No, they didn't do that. (laughs) They were afraid. You know, it's interesting that a man that would cause such a torture to a people in a village being there, being healed, being being in his right mind, being now a, a returned, productive citizen of this land, you would think that the people would have appreciated that, that the people would have rejoiced. Why were they afraid? Everything that they pre- presently were afraid of has been fixed, and now they're still afraid. What are they afraid of? Why would we be afraid that that Jesus could save the most wretched among us and transform us? Why would we be afraid of that? Oh, I, I know why we would be afraid of that. We would be afraid because things had changed. We're more afraid of the change than we are of what was normal. This guy attacking us, this guy shredding his chains, breaking the bars of prison doors, uh, fleeing to the deserts, attacking people at will, this normalcy of fear that we enjoyed would then be turned into a new fear because everything had changed. The fact that we no longer have to fear causes us to be afraid. How does that work? Oh, ye of little faith, Jesus would say. In 36, it says, And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Those who had seen it. So these guys that were sitting on the hillside watching all of this uh, transaction that were taking place, those herdsmen, who, who went and told them about Jesus to begin with, because all of their livestock ran into the lake. They told them how this demon-possessed man had been healed, and the people surrounding the country of the Gerasenes, they, they, they asked Jesus to depart from them, <laughs> for they were seized with a great fear. So he didn't even get past the tombs. He didn't even get into the town he didn't even get close to the people because they wouldn't have him. Because as much as they were afraid of this maniac who was shredding them to pieces, as much as they were afraid of 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 who he was with all those demons, they were equally afraid of, of the power of God healing him. They were equally afraid of, of the strength of this man whom this maniac would be found bowing down to him, and 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 they, they just they were they would be afraid of of what would happen in their village if Jesus came. What would happen? Well, the truth is is that he would heal the sick, he would heal the blind, he would heal the deaf, he would he would cast out those devils, he would preach the kingdom of God, and people could have a hope of eternal life. But no. They didn't want any of that, because it might change too much. It might change them, and they don't want to change. They don't want to be different from what they are. So they tell Jesus to depart from us, depart from me, for I do not want thee. And thus... Jesus got in the boat, and he was heading back around the other side. But the man whom he healed understood what had happened in his life, just like those who truly have received Christ realize the precious gift they've received. And and he begged Jesus. He said, let me go with you. But Jesus wouldn't let him. How cruel is that? Jesus wouldn't let him go with him. Wouldn't Jesus want everybody that had gotten saved to go with him? But Jesus wouldn't let him, and there's a reason why. Check this out. Go home and declare what God has done. You know why Jesus wouldn't let this man go with him? It's because Jesus needs a missionary in the land of, of the, the Gadarenes, or the Gennesarenes, or the now, let me look at that word again. I'm, I'm familiar with the Gadarenes, but this is Gerasenes here, uh, and and we realize that that I'm just curious about something. Let let me just do a little bit of investigating here, just for a second. I'm just curious about if it says, you know what, that old King James Bible sticks with that it sure does it says gadarenes i don't know where this this new translation comes up this is esv i don't know where it comes up with this uh here but gadarenes is is what i know and this is the maniac of gadara and that that is what we're going with i don't understand why they keep saying garrasinese but I guess that's because that's where the fellow found himself before Jesus is down in the grass on his knees. So maybe that's what they call it, grass and <laughs> But anyway, that's just Virginia translation. So when, it, when you get down to this, you see that, that Jesus tells him in verse number 39 to go home because the gathering people are people that rejected the presence of Jesus because of their fear of, So if they receive this man, this man becomes their missionary to testify that that the reality of his life is being filled with devils. But this man, Jesus, brought him deliverance. And this God of Yeshua, this God is powerful enough to take every devil inside of me and deliver me and cleanse me and make me whole. You've got to trust in Yeshua. You've got to trust in Jesus. <laughs> so go home and tell them all what God has done for you. You see, it isn't, it isn't the case that we could always be uh, in the place that we are. It, it isn't the case that we could always do the things that we do and just be normal Sometimes we got to be transformed and sometimes we've got to go to where we need to be because Jesus commanded us to return. He said, go home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Hallelujah. How much Jesus had done for him. Oh, Yeah. Now, think about the testimony of this guy. Think about it. This guy's coming through and and he is he is the guy you recognize. He's broken the chains, he's torn the bonds. He's he, he's the guy that you're the most afraid of walking into your midst and saying, "Oh, Brother, uh, brethren of the, of Gadara, brethren, I, I, I just want to proclaim to you how this man, Jesus, through the power of Almighty God, has delivered me. I have been saved. What a testimony. What a powerful, powerful testimony. And so it gets... It gets further down, and and, uh, really, it gets exciting at this point. We're dealing with Jesus healing Jairus' daughter. Now, I'm thinking, I'm going to check this back, but I believe we're paralleling just about perfectly. I think that we're paralleling um, Mark chapter number, want to say, 5. We are paralleling the whole chapter of Mark 5. Uh, at this point, as concerning the maniac of of the Gadarenes, and as concerning Jairus and his daughter, plus the woman, at the that was healed of her infirmities. So we are we are literally, if you want to look back at Mark chapter number five, that's exactly what we're paralleling right now, and it is thrilling to consider this now. Jairus. Here it is, and and I love this first scenario. I'm kind of beating my gums together because I'm thinking that uh, I'm I'm about to run out of time, but I'll just read over this, and then we'll praise God together in prayer. Now, in verse number 40, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. (laughs) Now, interesting the place where he does this great healing in the gadarenes and in the, in the gadarean people they said not nah, get out of here we can't handle this much change well jesus takes off from the gadarenes it goes back across where a multitude of people have been already healed and a multitude of people have, have received their sight their hearing that you name it it's been done well, Jesus, when he returned, there's a whole crowd of people waiting for him to come back. They were they were wanting him. And so when Jesus gets off this vessel, he's packed up by a whole crowd of people. And that's where we come into this, this play with Jairus. So they're all waiting for him. And it says, verse 41, there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, And falling at Jesus' feet, he begged Jesus to come to his house, for he had an only daughter. Now we get a little more information here from Mark. He had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, note the fact that Jesus... This guy's a ruler of the synagogue, so he doesn't really have any desire to be with Jesus. This guy's a ruler of the synagogue, so he's already received orders to deny Jesus because Jesus is one of these upstart, pretentious rabbis who is uh, changing the rules of the game. So nobody's really a fan of Jesus, but even the, the most hatred for Jesus can be curbed at the point of such a detrimental need in the life of someone. So even though this guy may have disliked Jesus, may have not wanted to have anything to do with Jesus, due to the fact that his only daughter at 12 years of age was getting ready to die, yeah, about like those disciples bucketing that water out in the last ditch effort was to beg Jesus to help him. This is uh, Jairus' last ditch effort to beg Jesus to help him. By the way, this is the first resurrection that Jesus performs before Lazarus. And there was a woman who had uh, an issue, a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living, all of her money, everything she had on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Hmm. She came up behind him and as of course we see written in Mark that the crowd was so packed that, that she could not come close to him, and so it reveals that she she had uh, was essentially crawling on her hands and knees to come up behind Jesus and, and to touch the fringe of his garment. And immediately, by the way, the fringe of his garment would have been the outer robe that Jesus would be wearing that that would be the fringe being the tallit being the the uh the the fringe that would hang off the end and recognizing on the corners of it would be ten as the Ten commandments would be the talit and immediately her discharge of blood ceased from forty four in forty five Jesus said. Who was it that touched me? (laughs) Now, something you don't get out of Mark, when all denied it, Peter said, "Uh, Master, (laughs) the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. (laughs) In other words, everybody's touching you. What do you mean? But Jesus said, "Nah." Jesus said someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Somebody touched me. And they're like, well, master, everybody's touching you. What are you you talking about? Wasn't us. None of us touched you. Jesus said, no, no, somebody touched me. I know this. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, couldn't hide anymore. You can't hide from what you've done. You can't hide before God. She came trembling. Falling down before him, oh the confession of salvation. Falling down before him declared in his presence. Now not only in the presence of Jesus, but in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. Oh the declaration of repentance unto salvation is beautiful. And how she had immediately had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, I love that. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Oh, praise God. Go in peace. The declaration of repentance unto salvation has made you well, has healed your soul, has delivered your spirit from death to life, has delivered you from eternal peril, and punishment to everlasting rest. Hallelujah! Your deliverance is complete, for you have touched the Son of God and been made whole. Oh, guys, repentance unto salvation is so beautiful. Why are we so afraid to repent, why do we consider this to be something so dreadful, something so painful, something so horrible and scary when it's the most beautiful thing that could ever happen to us is to receive everlasting life by the truth of a repentant confession calling out to the very one who wants to forgive us. Oh, just turn to Jesus. Just turn to Jesus, and he will save you. He promised he will save you. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the blessing of this truth and Lord, as we start tomorrow and we carry on with with Jairus and his daughter and we we review Mark chapter five to see what's being written in Luke chapter number eight, here we give you praise, Lord. It's the same story, it's the same truth, it's the same Jesus, the same power, and the same presence of the Holy Spirit. God bless us, and bless our understanding of it, that we may be able to share it with others, that if only they would cry out to Jesus, oh, how he would save them, how he would deliver them from this present evil day. And bring them into the care of his precious kingdom. Oh God bless us. And we will praise thee for it in Jesus name. Amen. Alright guys. Good Lord willing we've got tomorrow. We will catch back up to this. We will be in in Luke chapter 8. We will start off in chapter 4. Well, chapter 8 in verse number 48, dealing with the ending of of Jairus and the the deliverance that takes place. And then we'll just ride right over into Luke chapter 9 with so much more to to come uh, of the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. So until then, may God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. Take care until tomorrow.